This is the Build Wealth Canada podcast, episode number 46. Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hey, it's Cornell, and welcome to the Build Wealth Canada show. I hope you're doing well. We actually just had another baby, so we're super excited, and thanks for your patience in waiting for this next episode, as things have obviously gotten even more busy, but also a lot of fun as we adjust to the newest member of our family. And in other news, I want to tell you about something that's actually pretty time-sensitive, and that is that I've been asked to speak again at the Canadian Financial Summit, and I have free tickets for you as well. So this is a fully online personal finance and investing conference, so you don't have to travel anywhere or buy anything. You can just watch the speakers in your pajamas if you want and stream the talks right from your computer or your tablet or your phone, whatever device you'd like. And now this is the biggest conference of its kind in Canada and it has just about every big name in the Canadian personal finance space speaking at it. For example, there will be Rob Carrick from the Globe and Mail, Preet Banerjee from CBC's The National, Ellen Roseman from the Toronto Star, Rob Engen from Boomer Echo, and many, many more. Now, it's a real honor to be included again in this group, and for a limited time, I have free tickets for you as well. So to get those free tickets, all you have to do is go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash tickets, and there you will find the link to the free tickets. Now, what they're going to be doing soon is transitioning to regular paid tickets. So if you're even a little bit interested in streaming any of the talks, then go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash tickets right now and secure your tickets. I have absolutely no control over how long they will be letting me give you free access to the tickets. I just know it's a temporary thing and they'll be transitioning over soon. So then, you know, definitely jump on your phone or computer right now to do it so that you don't miss out. All they need is your name and email so they know where to send you the tickets. So it's literally something that will take you maybe 20 seconds to do and you'll have the tickets in your inbox and then you're all set. Now my talk will be on the three pillars that my wife and I used to become financially independent at 32. So I'll be sharing lots of tips and strategies that have worked well for us in the areas of reducing our spending, increasing our income and how we optimized our investments to pay the lowest fees and tax which let us reach that financial independence number a lot faster. So I hope you will join and that link again to get your free tickets for that very limited time is buildwealthcanada.ca slash tickets. All right, and now a quick word from this episode's sponsor. Are you a Canadian business owner or entrepreneur? If so, today's sponsor has something special for you. Canspace.ca, Canada's favorite web hosting provider, is offering all listeners $10 off their web hosting services. Now, why should you care? Well, in 2018, we all know that your business's success depends on having a website that is reliable and loads as fast as possible. Canspace has been trusted for over 10 years by Canada's largest corporations for providing affordable, reliable web hosting with the fastest load times in the industry. Now, Having a website that is down frequently or just loading slowly can cost you business and more importantly, damage the reputation of your brand. So choosing a reputable web hosting provider like Kenspace helps avoid these issues. Plus, Kenspace offers award-winning support. They bill in Canadian dollars and have a very generous 30-day money-back guarantee. And if you have a website already, they'll help you set up and transfer everything for free when you sign up for annual hosting, which is pretty awesome. So if you're itching to get started or just thinking of one day having your own blog or business, then secure your free coupon now while it's still available by going to buildwealthcanada.ca slash hosting discount. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash hosting discount, all one word. And just enter your email address and you'll be all set. 
All right, so today's guest is Alex Grodnick from Wall Street Oasis, which is easily one of the largest and best sites out there for anybody looking to have a career on Bay Street or Wall Street. And now, if you're not really interested in having a career on Bay Street or Wall Street, I still think this episode will be pretty relevant to you because we talk about, one, doing career transitions. So if you're not currently satisfied with your job, you know this is something that Alex has gone through and, and you know it's nice to hear from someone that's actually done it and made that leap and what he's learned along the way. Uh, and also, you know, he is in the small business world about you know, having your own business on the side. For example, maybe that's something that's of interest to you or maybe you want to start something small right now and maybe grow it into a full-time gig. I still think it's going to be relevant to you whether you are looking for a career in finance or not. Now, they offer a ton of great resources for anybody looking to either start or transition to a career in finance. And what's interesting is that pretty much everybody that I've talked to who I respect in this field has used Wall Street Oasis to help them break into the industry. So I think that's a good testament to the high-quality educational content that they provide. Now, Alex also hosts their podcast, which is called Moving Up. But what's also really interesting about him is he actually quit his really well-paying job on Wall Street to start his own business. So I thought this would be a great episode for anybody who's maybe a little dissatisfied with their job and is maybe considering a career transition or maybe starting something on the side that could hopefully eventually grow to become a full-time gig. Now, we talk about why he decided to quit, his top advice for somebody looking to earn some money on the side through their own business, and how he's learned to handle rejection really, really well and use that to propel his career and much more. It was an absolute blast to talk with Alex. The interview went great, and I'm sure you'll like it. So let's jump right in. All right, Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you, Cornell. I'm excited to be here. So, Alex, what made you decide to quit a job on Wall Street to start your own business? Yeah, Cornell, it's an interesting question. It was a tough question because I'm 31 today. And I would say for the first 22 years of my life, I all I really cared about was getting a job in investment banking on Wall Street. I don't know why that was. I didn't know any investment bankers. Everyone in my family was entrepreneurs. But for some reason, I was enamored with the fact of going to get one of these high-pressure, prestigious jobs at JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs or something like that. And so when I graduated from college, that's what I did. I went to go work for JP Morgan. And I did three months of training in New York. And then I worked in Detroit for a little while. And then I moved to Los Angeles. And then I worked for a different investment bank. And you know, uh, I pretty much got the exact skill set that I wanted, that investment banking analyst training program where you can rip apart companies' financial statements and build PowerPoints and Excel models really, really proficiently. Um, but something kind of interesting happened during the like the four years I was working in investment banking. It's, you know, something I wanted my whole life. I got it. And then I started to, I started to realize that I didn't really like it and it wasn't for me. And so, I mean, that, that, that took some time to, for my brain, for that to sink into my brain because like I had wanted this for so, so long and it was obviously going to take a couple of years to test it out and see that it, it really wasn't right for me. But after four years, I knew this is, this is not for me. I, I'm, this is not what I was put on earth to do. What was I put on earth to do? I had, I had no clue, you know, like my whole life had been built up to this. So I was kind of a little lost and uh, I left those investment banks and I actually went to go work for a company, a digital media company in, in LA doing internal investment banking. We we're buying and selling websites. And I thought, oh, maybe I want to do that. And they just wanted me for my investment banking skills. And so I was there for another year and a half. And fine, I still didn't 
I wasn't any closer to figuring out what I wanted to do. I knew I, that wasn't, still wasn't it. So Cornell, I thought, oh, I'll go to business school. You know, I didn't really think I ever wanted to go to business school, but it's just like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I thought, oh, I can go kind of take two years, really look inward and find what is right for me. You know, what I was, what I'm supposed to be doing. And, you know, business school is, it's kind of about, it's a little bit about classroom learning, but, but mostly it's about outside the classroom stuff, networking, having amazing experiences with these people, talking with CEOs and interesting people and, and kind of figuring out what you want to do, uh, you know, for a job when you come out of it. Um, but actually for me, I would say the most impactful moment of my business school experience, the, the two years I, I went to, I went to UCLA's business school, Anderson. And, um, in the first year, I was taking a class, you know, it had some fancy name, but basically it was, a, it was a leadership class, public speaking kind of thing. And in that class, the professor had us write down times when we had felt like we were being our most authentic self. And he defined authentic self as feeling like you're firing on all cylinders, using all of your facilities, like, you know, really, really being who you are. And so fine, I, I, I wrote down some, some times and Afterwards, I'm looking at this list, and this is something that I think all the listeners, you know, should should do. Like write down when you felt like you're really being your true self. And anyways, I'm looking at the list, and every single instance on it, I'm doing something entrepreneurial. Uh, I'm starting a business. Like growing up, I was the, I was like a real. My parents said I was born with a briefcase. I was always starting little businesses and hustling and trying to do stuff and selling junk door to door and car washes. And so anyways, I, all the times that I wrote down were times like that. And at that moment, I mean, I guess it, it probably took a day or two, but I realized like, why am I chasing these jobs? Yes, they're prestigious. Yes. Other people put a high value on them. And, and I, you, you make a lot of money. I mean, I made six figures my first year out of college. Um, but but other people value those. They, they weren't. I don't think they were valuable as much to me. I was putting my emphasis on you know what other people thought was important. And now I realized, oh, well, screw that. I need to start, you know, going back to my roots and who I'm supposed to be here. And, and that's obviously an entrepreneur. And so I kind of spent the rest uh, year and a half of business school becoming trying to become an entrepreneur. I worked for a vent- two different venture capital funds. Uh, I started a podcasting business, which is why you and I are speaking. I kind of became a little professional podcaster. Uh, and then after school, I joined a, uh, a fintech startup. And so now, yeah, I've got this podcast. I've got this fintech startup. And literally, I'm making hundreds of dollars per week now. So it's, it's a big, big change from, from my old life. But on a day-to-day basis, I'm so much more fulfilled than I ever was while working uh, in investment banking. Gotcha. So yeah, you said some really interesting things there. So first off, how do you know when you're being your true self? So because I think there's a lot of people that don't know what they want to do in their life. And if, if you're like, if you're anything like me, I'm always like second guessing myself, like, hey, maybe I should be doing this. Maybe, I should, you know, as, as you get inputs, you start kind of questioning and things like that. Um, but, you know, and, I, and I've heard this before that to, to figure out when are you being your true self? I, I've heard that before summer as well. But But how do you how do you know when you are being your true self? Is it because you're getting increased energy when you're doing that particular task or, or because you get excited? Like, are there What kind of objective things are there that you, you know, okay, I'm being my true self now. This is something I should really uh, like write down because this is, this is a fit or whatever it is I'm doing now. How do you know? Yeah, it's a good question, Cornell. You know, on, on my podcast, um, 
I speak with business leaders about starting business, investing, life advice. And I can tell you from the 80 episodes that, I, that, I, that I've done that in speaking with immensely successful people, the main takeaway is that nobody has a grand plan for the way that their career is going to go. They just kind of, they're hardworking, they put themselves in good opportunities, and they just kind of put one foot in front of the other. And the cool part is, is that the universe kind of figures out a lot of the unknown for you. If you are hardworking and you're working on solving a problem that you're passionate about. This gets back, this gets really to the, the core of your question here is the other, one of the other main themes is there has to be, there has to be more that you're chasing beyond just money. If it's just money, like there's a, there's a million different ways that, that you can make money. Um, and fine, I'm sure some a lot of people have been successful purely chasing money, but it's a lot easier and more straightforward if you say, oh, I want to solve this problem. Um, like for me, like I didn't think there was great uh, podcast content around business schools and you know advice on the, the, the human elements of a career journey. So I, I started something like that. And you know, I didn't plan on making any money and it just like, I'm still making little money, but it, but it, it, it just kind of took off because I was trying to solve that problem. The same thing with the fintech company I'm trying to build. We're trying, it's difficult to collect money from a large group of people. How do you collect money from 50 people? That's a hard thing to do. So we're, we're trying to solve that problem. And if we do it well, we will be rewarded. Um, but this just gets to passion and that's different from everyone. You know, I've read all these books about how to identify that. Yeah, for me, I was just thinking, I, I, I was fortunate. I had started lots of businesses. I mean, not like venture funded businesses, but, but little things growing up. And I was able to recognize that, you know, as I was standing outside of a grocery store selling something that that's really when I was my great self, I was personable and outgoing and smiling and just, I just felt really good. And I don't remember ever feeling like that while I worked in, in investment banking. So I could point to that, but I've read books that say you need to look to when you were a kid, like what did you really enjoy doing? You know, you say, I, I enjoyed playing in the dirt. I don't know quite how that becomes your, your job, but there, you can look to things like when you weren't like, cause now we're all just chasing money so much and we're chasing, you know, uh, prestigious jobs and opportunities and all this stuff. So it's like, it's hard to say, Oh, like what am I really passionate about? But if you look back in your earlier life, you know, you can use that kind of as a guide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing, because I think sometimes it's like if, I, I mean, I remember going through a part of my life where if someone said, well, you know, what are, like, I wasn't happy at my job, and uh, so people would ask, okay, well, what are you passionate about? And I would say, I don't know, <laughs> right? Like, when you're in that kind of negative state where you just know you're currently unhappy, like, nothing seems to be uh, kind of bringing you you passion, right? So, but uh, but it sounds like, yeah, you, you gave some kind of good tips there about what to look out for. Well, you know, I didn't, I mean, I liked listening to podcasts, and, you know, I like using, uh, I like finance. And so we built a finance app, but like, I didn't know that I really had a passion for either one of them. I just, you just kind of start doing something and, um, you kind of put one foot in front of the other. And like, the, like I said, the universe kind of makes things happen for you. Like I started my podcast and like in a couple weeks later, business insider was writing articles about it and thousands of people were listening to it. And it was just like, wow, I had no idea. I was just kind of using this as, you know, an interesting ask to make of people instead of Hey, do you want to grab a coffee? It's hey, do you want to come on my podcast? And uh, you know, it's it, things just kind of take off it if like you are enjoy doing it and you're passionate about it. Like that comes through in in the work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that's um, that's awesome. Yeah, because I I think I can see some people 
Like, okay, well, I don't really have, I don't know what I have a passion for. And then that kind of get, can become stressful even, right? Because I, I don't know what I want to do. And then, well, maybe I should try this, but what if it doesn't work out, right? And you sort of get into this, you know, now you're getting anxiety from it and everyone else seems to have it, it looks like they have it figured out, you know, like you go on your Facebook feed, right? And it always looks like everything's always perfect and rosy for, <laughs> and yeah, everyone social, knows, you know. <laughs> yeah, social media is the worst because yeah. no, no one has it figured out. Like Instagram is just like, like I want to see the picture you know, right after they take the picture when everything just falls apart. And like, it, life is not like that. People try to make this, this, you know, fake kind of life for themselves on, on social media. And it's not quite like that, but you know, like, like I said, I didn't know that any of these stuff that I was going to be doing that I was super passionate about it, but I knew that as I was doing it, I was learning. And like, this is what Warren Buffett says, you know, he says, take the job that you're going to learn the most at, not necessarily the one that's going to pay you the most. And so as long as you're advancing your knowledge, advancing your intellect about who you are and the things that you like. You know, if you're able to cross one thing off your list that you don't like, that gets you one step closer to doing something that you do like. So I have kind of lived by that mentality of just taking like learning, learning, like reading, learning at my job, trying to, and I can tell you that that uh, job I had right after investment banking, where I was working for that digital media company and we were buying websites and apps and stuff like they were paying me tons of money, but I felt like I wasn't learning anything. So I was like pretty unhappy there. Um, and so I, you know, I, that's, that's kind of been my philosophy. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like, you're, you're just a gear in the machine and a well-paid gear, but still a gear nonetheless. And then if you're not there, they just grab someone else and, and that's it. Right. And not, you're not growing or anything like that. You're just, uh, you're, you're just pumping out, uh, whatever it is your specialty is. Right. And, and that's it. Yeah, you know, it's mm-hmm. sure. Like like money is definitely part of the equation that, you know, provides fulfillment and you know in, in what you're doing, but it's only one small component of it. And like I said, now I'm making very little money. I've got lots of equity, mm-hmm. but I am so fulfilled every day because I'm speaking with other brilliant founders, uh, of startups and getting their advice on my startup and talking with them on my podcast or awesome venture capitalists and private equity investors coming on the podcast and like them giving me their, their life stories. And, and, and so that that's incredible. And then, yeah, I think we're solving a very, very large problem with my app and that's challenging and difficult and I'm learning a ton. And so like the learning and the exposure and like I'm my authentic self when I'm emailing someone and jumping on the phone and discussing tough problems. Like I never got that in when I mm-hmm. you know, worked in uh, high finance. Gotcha. And then, yeah, speaking of high finance, I mean, so it sounds like, you know, you, you, I imagine you had this preconception of what working on Wall Street would be like at one of these big firms. And then I guess you got there and like you said, it wasn't necessarily a good fit. It wasn't kind of all it's cracked up to be. For anybody that's maybe considering a job in that kind of industry, are there any sort of misconceptions that you think some people might have that where when in reality it's not like that at all just to kind of you know for anyone that maybe you know really wants to be in this industry and it may be for the wrong reasons because they you know because they saw some movie about you know about this kind of life and they think it's going to be like that and it's going to be perfect you know are there any kind of warnings you can give to people or maybe you know since you were you you actually worked in that field to kind of go behind the curtain and and sort of shine some light on how things are really like yeah you know cornell it's it's an incredible place to begin your career. I mean, you get 
it's like dog years, right? You learn one year worth of, you learn seven years worth of stuff for every one year that you work there because you're working so much and you're exposed to so much. And like, I would be on calls with the CEO and CFO of Fortune 500 companies and it would be, you know, me and an investment banking associate in my group, another, you know, 30 year old and a 20 year old. Uh, and you're at boardrooms and making board presentations. And uh, so it's really fast paced. You learn a ton. Like I would never trade starting my career there. Like I'm, it's a notch in my belt. I'm very happy that I did it. But the reason that I, I didn't love it or the reason that I didn't excel at it is because of this entrepreneurial way of thinking that I have that I was born with that's innate inside of me. And, you know, someone tells me to do something and I'm always looking for the angle. I'm looking for a creative way to get around and know, like, I love challenging myself. When someone says, oh, that can't be done. I love finding a way for it to be done. In investment banking at the lower echelons, the analysts, the associates, even the, the vice presidents, like these are very, very structured jobs and they are paying you tons of money to do a very specific role on the analyst level. It's you're building the financial model and putting together the PowerPoint presentation that flows up to the associate and the vice president for them to take a look at it. And then it flows back down to you to, to make all their changes. And, you know, you know, like that, that takes 20 hours a day of doing those, doing those because the partner's on phone calls all day. And then he looks at, at the deck at four o'clock at night and then hands it, puts it on your desk at four thirty, and you have to work all night long. And then that's just like repeats over and over and over. But my mindset of always trying to like think outside the box like they hated it like no one in investment banking appreciated that versus now in startup world like people love that i think creatively and like can find ways to kick down doors and do new things and so it's it's just a much better use of my skill set that i i can do investment banking like that's cool but now i'm really using what i'm meant to be using mm-hmm. no, that, that's awesome that's good to know and uh, can you tell us uh, you mentioned your, your business that you're involved in now can you tell us a bit about your business and why did you settle uh, settle on that particular type of business? Yeah, so we've built this app. You know, it's a little bit different in Canada, but uh, the way it's this is a problem everywhere that it's a pain in the ass to collect money from a large group of people. Think about you going on a bachelor party with fifteen guys, uh, and one person's collecting money from from all fifteen guys, and you have an Excel spreadsheet of who's paid, who hasn't paid, who's paid for the, the Airbnb and the experience and the bar and the dinners. And it's like, it's a nightmare and there's no transparency. So what we've done is we've built a group debit card that provides end-to-end transparency. So now everyone can see who's paid. There's an app. Everyone can see who's paid, who hasn't paid. And then on the spending side, like when you're swiping that debit card at a restaurant or using it you know, to buy stuff on Amazon, everyone can see where the money is going to. So it makes, it takes this individual collection effort and makes it a group collection. And let's see, how did I get into it? You know, I met these guys as I was finishing up business school. I had no idea that I was going to be working on a finance app. Like still, like, I don't know that I'm going to be working on a finance app for the rest of my life, but like I'm getting great experience doing, this is different from the startups I've done. We're going after venture funding. So we're trying to take over the world and raise millions of dollars and, uh, we're not going to make revenues for a long, long time. So it's a very different kind of way of thinking about a business versus like my podcast where it requires very little money. I start talking with awesome guests right away and it starts to get listeners and grow. This is a different thing. It costs millions of dollars to get it off the ground. And um, But what I'm, what, what, why I'm here, why I like it is because I'm learning so much. Like I'm learning how to do a venture-backed startup. I'm learning about the challenges that entrepreneurs face at the very, very early onset. I'm learning how to 
get your product in market and get in the initial users and grow that and, and raise capital for that, which is, these are all really, really, really tough things. And so uh, I think it's going to serve me well on my, I'm going to be an entrepreneur for my life now. So the next business, my next business, I'm going to take all the learnings from this one and pour it into those. Awesome. And I mean, it sounds like you, you've at least got the, the PR at least is going pretty well. I mean, you said you mentioned you mentioned you were on uh, you were written I guess about on Business Insider. How did you manage to do something like that? That's pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, I you know it, it's it really comes back to that I was just doing something that I I really enjoyed. Like I Business Insider just heard the podcast from one of the guests that was on it. I kind of got uh, some high profile guests in the beginning. You know, I've had the one of the. Facebook had five co-founders. I've had one of them on. I've had basically all of the biggest venture capital investors, a lot of big private equity investors and founders. And so, you know, those people kind of have their own, while I have no following, the people, the guests that come on have followings. And so they'll, you know, tweet about it or put it on their LinkedIn or something. And it kind of just grows. And, you know, I get these LinkedIn messages now and emails of people saying like, oh, I love your podcast. It, it's giving me great insight and thank you so much. And, you know, it's like, wow, I, I'm making an, an impact on, on people's lives. And like, that's, that's so cool. If I can help, you know, any, any people like that, that's really, really fulfilling for me, but that's never what I sought out to do. You know, I just set out to get practice starting a business and speak with interesting people. So I didn't really have like this, you know, profit mindset in the beginning of it, which, you know, kind of talked about, I think is kind of important. Gotcha. And and then you mentioned your your podcast as well. Can you maybe now's a good time maybe to talk a bit about it? Can you tell everyone what the podcast is, what it's called, uh, what you guys do, just to kind of give it a bit of a, a bit of a shout out? Because I think it might be relevant to a lot of the listeners here. Yeah. So the podcast is called Moving Up, and it discusses stuff like starting a business, investing, life advice. Basically, I speak with really really successful founders and and investors. Uh, and we have kind of a story about their journey, how they got to where they are, the failures that that set them up, how they've how they've done what they've done. You know, someone said, "Oh, I left Goldman Sachs to start a business." I say, "Oh, was that scary? Was that was that difficult? What 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 were you thinking at the time?" And and so, really, what it does is, I think it at least for me is it provides inspiration because you're hearing. You know, I talked with the founder of Google Voice, and. He basically said, I had, I had no idea about telephony and startups. I just kind of started doing things. And all of a sudden, I became an expert in the space. And I was able to attract some great talent. And we kind of built this company. And then Google bought it from us. And then I went to work for Google. And it's like, well, wow, Like you, were, you had no grand vision of, of how that was going to play out. But you just kind of woke up and put one foot in front of the other every single day. And so my co-founders and I at my startup, we call that being a doer. And we, it's funny, we have these, these jokes in, in with the, between the three of us where we say, oh, that person's a doer or that person's a donter. And if you're a doer, I think you just, you don't make excuses for stuff in life. Oh, you know, I didn't go to the right school or, oh, I'm, I'm, I don't know how to do that. Like, okay, then, then figure it out. Like anyone in life can, can figure this stuff out. You say, oh, I don't know how to code, so I can't make an app. I've got a great idea, but I can never do it. Well, teach yourself to code or go find someone who can do it for you and figure out a way to partner with them to, to do it. Like this is how these incredible outcomes present themselves by people who are doers and just go make stuff happen for themselves. Gotcha. And then I'm sure too, I mean, in your business and just in general, I mean, there's been things that haven't worked as well as you hope. Can you share kind of some of the stories and how you, 
how you how you kind of frame it in your head or how you get past those types of things just like to not let them get you down because i mean I, i've been in kind of the small business world for, for quite a while now too and i mean there's definitely you know there people say that you know the highs are are really really high but the lows can also be really really low so i mean what what hasn't worked as well as you had hoped and then you know what did you learn from it and how do you how do you deal with with you know like these setbacks or failures or things like that yeah. Uh, I mean, I think in just in life, especially probably in the startup world, I probably get a hundred rejections for every one. Yes. So you have to have a thick skin. Uh, I mean, I can, I, I used to, I haven't done it in a while, but I used to practice this thing called rejection therapy, which is, it's kind of funny, but you seek out getting rejected by another person once a day for, for like 30 days and you can desensitize yourself to the fear of it. You know, it's just like you're afraid of germs. You touch something that has a lot of germs on it, you know, like a door handle or something. And after a few days, maybe a week, it's it's a pretty short amount of time. You're still alive. You're not sick. You realize, oh, I'm, I'm not that afraid of germs anymore. Same thing is true of rejection. It's the way our brains are wired. No one likes getting told no. Um, but as you go out, in the world and you start asking someone for a high five or to take a picture or for a, a dollar or, you know, for a hug or, you know, there's like a million, they can, you can ask for a discount when you buy a sandwich at lunch. Like there's a lot of things you can ask for. Like it's amazing that a, you start to get a lot of yeses. So you like, you get discounts on stuff. You get to go, you know, in the back of restaurants and see where they cook the steaks and go in the front, the cockpit of airplanes. Like people want to help you. You end up seeing that humanity is really, really great. Uh, and the other thing is you get a sense of humility because, you know, I, I like I said, I, when I was just in business school and I can remember sitting in class and you are sitting there and you're like, oh, should I ask a question? Is that a dumb question? Is that a good question? Or I'm going to raise my hand. I'm going to rehearse it five times. And then I'm going to say it. I wonder what people thought about it. I can tell you that no one thought twice about your question. Like no one, no one gives a shit about your question. Everyone's too concerned about themselves. So that when you ask someone, hey, can I have a high five? Can I have a dollar? Like that seems like a hard thing for you to do. But that person is going to forget that you asked them that 35 seconds later. <laughs> that's that's so true. I've, I've been learning that too. Like the, the, the older I get is that like people care a lot less about kind of what you think or, or what you just did than, than you think they do, right? Because people are like, you know, not to be negative or anything, right? But uh, yeah, people like worry so much about what other people think and all that. And like you said, I mean, they're going to freak, that person's going to forget about it. Um, and you're probably never even going to see them again. And even if you do, so, so what, right? And they probably won't remember you anyway. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, think about how much, how, how often do you like look at your hair and comb your hair and make your hair look good and put gel in your hair? When was the last time you even remember like looking at someone else's hair and saying, oh, like their hair looks funny or like their hair looks good? You don't even look at it. You know, this is everyone is just themselves. That's kind of the way that the, that the world works. And so when you go do this rejection therapy and like you start asking people for small things, you build up an insane amount of confidence really quickly. And I can tell you starting the first week asking for small stuff by week two, you are like able to ask for promotions at work or a raise at work, or like you can like walk up right up to a girl in a bar and say, Hey, like, do you want to grab a drink with me? Like you just have confidence. I mean, I can tell you like, again, also once you stop doing this, the confidence goes away, but uh, that rejection therapy is a, is, a, is a good way to go after it because like life is filled with rejection. I think it's the people that brush it off versus internalize it 
the people that brush it off, they're the ones that are just go through life crushing from success to success versus the ones that say, oh, like that person was mean to me. I'm, I'm not going to email them again. I email people five times, six times. Like, hey, hey, did you see this? Did you see that? Like, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to be annoying about it, but like, I'm going to get what I need in life and I'm going to go out and take it. I'm not going to worry about what other people are thinking or caring or I'm, I'm trying to, you know, kill for my family. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that, that's great advice. So, I mean, as well, what's your top advice for those that are looking to earn some income on the side through their own business or maybe looking to make that full leap into entrepreneurship like you? I think like if it's if entrepreneurship is right for you and you have a job now, like you probably aren't working investment banking hours, right? You're not working till 4 a.m. every night. I mean, if you are, then fine, you might have to leave that job. But if you're working till 6 p.m., like come home and instead of turning on Netflix, like think about businesses, like think about this on the weekends, read Inc. Magazine and 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 read TechCrunch and like figure out what's interesting in the market, what people are doing, like get ideas, stimulate yourself. I mean, thinking of a business is, it takes practice. It's no different from anything else. You need to write down hundreds of businesses on a piece of paper. Hey, write, keep a journal that says business ideas and just write down stuff. And once you start doing this, it seems hard in the beginning, but you'll get in the practice of being good at it. Uh, and then you can think about it and then you can start working on it after work on the weekends. Like you don't have to go all in, but, oh, I'm going to quit my job to go do this. You don't have to do that. You know, I was, I didn't have the choice. I was working so many hours and I saved up money that I was able to, to kind of go to business school and, and leave the job and kind of jump in both feet. But that, that's a way, but you don't have to do it that way. You know, you can kind of dip your toe in and start to de-risk the opportunity and get more traction and ideas and advice. Also, I think the, the very, the very, very coolest part of the startup world is that the entire startup ecosystem is predicated on the people that have had success helping the early companies, the ones that haven't had success, the ones that are just starting out and not just helping, advising, investing. Like that's what makes a strong startup ecosystem. The ones that have had success helping the ones that don't have, haven't had success yet. And so if you have an idea and you're passionate about it, you can email or call anyone you want and the hit rate of them returning your email or jumping on a, you know, 20, 30 minute call with you, grabbing a coffee is incredible. Everyone wants to help passionate entrepreneurs. So figure out a way for you to become a passionate entrepreneur and then reach out to everybody and they'll help you. That's awesome. And as an aside, you also uh, decided to get an MBA before starting your entrepreneurship path. What did the MBA get you that you couldn't have gotten yourself through just self-learning or experience? Yeah. So you don't need to go to MBA to be to go work at a startup, right? You need to get an MBA if you came from a startup and then you wanted to go work for McKinsey, like McKinsey and Bain and Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan. Like they only hire out of business school. Like there, it's a window job. A window opens up right out of undergrad and then a window opens up right after business school. So fine. You want one of those jobs? Very simple. Go to business school, go to a top 20 school, punch your ticket, get on the roller coaster and you get one of those jobs. For me, I had one of those jobs. I didn't need one. I didn't need to go to business school to get one. Uh, but I didn't know what I needed to do. So could I have arrived at the same place without going to business school? Maybe. Would it have been harder? Definitely. Um, was it expensive? Absolutely. It cost you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for me to do this, and I didn't make money for two years. But in the grand scheme of my career, am I going to regret going? I mean, I, I think that'll be hard. I have incredible friends and lifetime connections. And uh, and I, I look at it. I came out knowing I had to be an entrepreneur. I mean, I'm not a successful entrepreneur yet, but I think I'm on the... I'm definitely on the path to what I'm supposed to be doing. 
Awesome. And then uh, I had a question for you here about uh, rejection and, and, and kind of how you overcame it. And because and you mentioned before when we spoke offline that that's been sort of your key keys to your success in life in general, both in terms of getting into a good school and getting the Wall Street job and all of that. Um, but we, we've kind of already covered that a bit. But is there anything that you have to add about that, about how, um, you know, how people can get past that big fear of rejection? If there's any sort of other tactics or specific ways of thinking about rejection that have personally helped you kind of push through and take action? Um, because, yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, they're embarrassed. They're worried then they're going to get embarrassed, right? If they get that no, if they get that rejection. Yeah, everyone. I mean, that's how our brains are wired. Everyone gets embarrassed. No one wants to get rejected. But by exposing yourself to it, putting yourself out there, asking people for things, you desensitize yourself to the fear of rejection. And that's powerful. So do it for 30 days. Try it out. Like, what do you have to lose? Go out there and start asking people for easy, easy things and build up to asking for really important, hard things. And you'll be amazed by how quickly it happens, how much confidence you get and how it progresses and how it can change your life. It's, it's a very powerful tool. Awesome. And then Alex, you also run the Wall Street Oasis podcast, which I think would be pretty relevant for a lot of the listeners here too. Can you tell us a bit about that and what Wall Street Oasis, the website itself does for anybody that hasn't heard of it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Cornell. So the podcast is called Moving Up, but it lives on Wall Street Oasis. And yeah, Wall Street Oasis, the podcast is is new. It's, it's been around for like less than a year. We've And I've already talked about the podcast and, and what that is. The, the website has been around for 12 years and it's pretty much the go-to place for people trying to break into these prestigious jobs that I left investment banking, private equity, and hedge funds, or and, and, and management consulting as well. So it's a really, really, really deep forum. It gets a few million visits a month. People ask questions, everything from what color shoes to, should I wear to an interview to, you know, how to do modeling uh, training. And like, you know, when I worked at uh, one of the investment banks, Schoolahan Loki, we would have our super day interviews and we'd be interviewing all these analysts from, you know, all these great schools around the country. And we'd be interviewing them in the morning and the questions we'd be asking would be going up on this website uh, in the afternoon. So it's, it's really deep there. It's a great resource. And the podcast, you know, we just hope to have that be another resource for people to, to come there and, uh, and enjoy. Awesome. All right, well, thanks for sharing that. And where can we hear more from you? I mean, obviously there's the podcast. Are there any other ways that you prefer for anyone to read more of, of, of you know, your work or know what you're doing, learn more about the business you're in, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, the podcast, like I said, it's called Moving Up. I'd love it if you check it out. You can also email me, alex at wallstreetoasis.com. I'm happy to talk about rejection therapy or startups or, you know, podcasts, whatever anyone wants. Like like I said, I, I really enjoy helping people, you know, get the get the start in their life, in, the, in their career. So anything I can do. Uh, and thanks so much for having me on the podcast, Cornell. Awesome. No, thanks, Alex. It was a lot of fun. And yeah, I think you brought up some really great points. And uh, uh, yeah, it's not often that we have, you know, this kind of psychological barrier type conversations on the show but now that we've had it i'm thinking you know this is actually pretty pretty valuable and it, uh, you know i like how you provided specific things specific steps you can actually do to help overcome some of these obstacles because sometimes you know you you talk to people right and it's kind of fluffy it's very vague that kind of a thing but i, I really think you've you've given some really good concrete things that we can do to kind of you know get us to that next level whether it's you know in our existing career or maybe you know, entrepreneurship or you know or maybe starting something on the side so so no i mean i mean thanks a lot for your really really good answers clearly you, you thought about this a lot yeah happy happy to come on cornell and this was fun thanks so much for having me all right take care alex bye 
All right, I hope you enjoyed the episode with Alex from Wall Street Oasis. Definitely don't forget to claim those free tickets to the Canadian Financial Summit while they are still available by going to buildwealthcanada.ca slash tickets. They're going to become paid soon. And like I said, I have no control over when that happens. So take the 20 seconds now to claim your spot. All you need is your name and email and you'll be able to watch all the talks for free and learn an absolute ton. Also, definitely tell your friends and family about it and feel free to provide them with that link too so that they can get the free tickets too while they're still available. And basically, so they don't hear about the conference later and now they have to pay for the tickets, etc. So that link again for the free tickets is buildwealthcanada.ca slash tickets. And I look forward to seeing you there. And one last reminder before we finish today's show, and of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, CanSpace. If you're a Canadian business owner and are looking for a reliable and affordable web hosting provider to host your website, you need to invest in local Canadian web hosting. And CanSpace is Canada's favorite provider. They have super fast and affordable web hosting, a 30-day money-back guarantee, and they'll even help migrate your site from your current provider for free. So if you're about to launch a new venture or are considering switching providers, CanSpace can definitely help. And they're offering $10 off all web hosting plans to Build Wealth Canada listeners. And even if you're just considering starting your own blog or business one day, I still suggest you go grab their free coupon while it's still available. This way you can use it whenever you're ready. And at least this way you're getting a free $10 off no matter what. So visit buildwealthcanada.ca slash hosting discount and enter your email address to get the coupon for free. So that link to the coupon again is buildwealthcanada.ca slash hosting discount. All right, have a wonderful week and talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca. 